This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This is Jared Savinas, and when I'm not destroying Joe and Matt on the Dungeons and Dragons table as their DM, I am listening to the two-headed nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of, sort of, break it, break it down like this. Let's do it. We're doing it on the fly. Do Welcome it. to episode 45 THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday. Are we doing it now? 7th. We're doing it now. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not apologizing for expletives that should have been bleeped on last week's show, I am writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. And I am Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not apologizing for Matt Baum's on-the-fly introductions... I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're supposed to read about being invited to the cookie party by my bitch wife. I wasn't going to say that about your uh, wife. I just said it. This week, THN reviews the Hellblazer Annual number one from DC Vertigo and Defenders number one from Marvel. After that, we'll review 10 comics so fast our more successful and well-adjusted Facebook friends won't even have time to make fun of us in the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where ancient magics will tell us about next week's comics, and we'll tell you all about the nerd-related TV and movies you should be watching in December in this month's edition of Nerd TV! That was for you, DJ. But before we get to all those hijinks and buffoonery, let's take a moment to thank everyone in the military, both gay and straight, for their service to this country, and remember the true meaning of Christmas, the birth of baby Santa. Then we'll talk about this week's big news. Wasn't uh, Sanctum Santorum one of the Republican presidential candidates? <laughs> he was. I think he was the one that hated gay people. <laughs> Cheese it. <laughs> Remember all those It's Coming teasers? I do. Well, Marvel Comics has finally revealed what all the hype is leading towards. And it wasn't Marvel Man like we thought. Nope. It's Avengers vs. X-Men, a 12-issue bi-weekly series that will launch in April of next year. Creative duties for the event will be executed by an eight-man team of writers and artists. The series will be written by Marvel's Architects. I, I really hate the term Architects. At least it's not written by the Young Guns. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so Brian Michael Bendis, Jason Aaron, Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and Jonathan Hickman will write the series. And the story will be plotted, outlined, etc. by the team as a whole. But each individual issue will be scripted by a single writer. The series will be divided into three acts, with John Romita Jr. drawing Act 1, Olivier Coipel on Act 2. You just love saying that. I really do. And Adam Kubert illustrating the final act. The story revolves around the return of the Phoenix Force and its connection to Hope Summers. In short, the X-Men want to prepare Hope to serve as the Entity's host, while the Avengers want to take down what they see as a potential planet-ending danger. The writers promised answers to the long-standing mystery revolving around Hope's connection to Jean Grey and made liberal mentions of the Scarlet Witch's involvement. So I guess we know how Avengers the Children's Crusade is going to shake out. Mm. Also revealed, the Avengers X-Sanctioned miniseries by Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness, which begins next week, will act as a prelude to the big event, Matt. What do you make of all this? I'm excited. This is going to be fun. I love the old X-Men versus Avengers. And it makes sense in the storyline, you know, that... Obviously, they think the Phoenix is a good thing they can control, and Captain America thinks it's a terrible idea and blows up planets. It's a bad thing. (laughs) Uh, I think this is going to be a good time, though, and I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more than X-Sanction, which so far, I'm a big Ed McGinnis fan, but the promo art that I've seen looks terrible. No, I disagree. I think the promo art looks fine, but... It looks dumb, man. Jeff Loeb... I just do not trust Jeff Loeb. I don't trust him at all. He put the words epic fail into Nova's mouth. 
as a planet was getting eaten by the Phoenix Force yeah. in that point one. That aside, I do think Avengers versus X-Men is going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, this is written by everybody we love. Right, exactly. And, you know, some people might not be super excited about John Romita Jr. I like the guy. And I hope the Adam Kubert that shows up is more like the Spider-Man, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine Adam Kubert and well, not necessarily the... the uh, I hope Adam the Jr. Jr. that shows couple. up is uh, the Jr. Jr. that we love too, and not the one that's been poking his head around recently. Keep Claus Jansen off Yee. that book, man. Man. Speaking of the Avengers, this week Brian Michael Bendis casually dropped a bomb on fans at the end of his most recent interview on ComicBookResources.com. The current and reigning Avengers Grand Poobah announced nope. that he will be exiting the Avengers family of titles in 2012, ending a run that began in 2004 and spans over 200 issues. Bendis said, "Quote." It's a good time to move on to other things. Before I go, though, I'm ending things big. I'm in countdown mode. You know, when you're watching a show like Breaking Bad and every episode feels like the second to last episode? That's where I'm at. Joe, you're a well-known Bendis hater and kind of a jerk for it. Are you happy now, you monster? I'm not a Bendis. I'm not a Bendis hater. You wrote this. <laughs> I wrote that, but you're the one who started calling me a Bendis hater. That's because you just criticize him for the dumbest things. I don't. It's not <laughs> dumb things. Look, I like Brian Michael Bendis. I think he's very good at a good many things. Uh, his characterization is excellent. His dialogue is excellent. I could read books with characters that he's writing just standing around talking all day long. Absolutely. I could do it. Absolutely. Nobody does dialogue like him. But if I have to read one more story where Norman Osborn comes back... And does something terrible, I will lose my mind. I agree that does not exactly feel fresh, but I do think it is going to be a fun story. It, I will say... But this is... I, that's... I'm only using that as an example. Right. He repeats the same things. It's the hood. How many issues of it's the true. hood did we have to sit a through? A lot of them. And some of them were good. But if at a certain point, I'm done with it. If and I one think complaint he, that it's I time have, for him to go. He's really good at the talking head thing. I like that. But you just... You can't do it in some of these stories. It didn't work when Avengers Tower fell. It didn't work to have them sitting around talking heads saying, oh, man, I remember when that happened and stuff. Yeah. All that does is tell you that, well, don't worry. All of these people lived and everything is fine. <laughs> exactly. And again, it sounds like I'm bashing him, but I am not. I really do like Bendis. I think his Ultimate Spider-Man is is one of the best series I've ever read. And the current Ultimate Spider-Man is phenomenal. Well, let's talk about his Avengers. But that's one character. What would you, later on, when you look back on on Brian Michael Bendis' entire Avengers run, what do you have to say about it? Success? Failure? I think it was a success I overall because he brought the Avengers to the forefront. Yes. Where they were sort of lagging in popularity. You know, Kurt Busiek had left the book. Chuck Austin was writing it, Ooh, for those of you that remember Lord, that, that nonsense. And Brian Michael Bendis stepped in and turned the Avengers into arguably Marvel's flagship franchise. Yeah, as a whole, I, I will say I have in, I see it as a success. I've enjoyed the Avengers way more than I have in a long time. It's probably time for him to I'm stop. okay with him moving on. It's time to yeah. let somebody else breathe some new life into this uh, family of titles. And finally, the wait is over! The event we've all been waiting for is finally here. After months of rumor, speculation, and sort of news, Valiant Comics has announced that they will be making their triumphant return in 2012 with a free comic book day special leading into their new line of titles. I swear they've been talking about this return for five years. It's been a while since, you know, there's been announcements of somebody bought Valiant. Yeah. Somebody has reformed Valiant Publishing and then just like nothing. Yeah. This week they broke Twitter in half. Yeah, kind of. 
Uh, so we're going to get a free comic book day special leading into their new line, and the one-shot called Valiant Comics 2012 will feature new takes on Exo Manowar, Bloodshot, and Harbinger. Or Harbinger, depending on... Or Hardbringer. Hardbringer. (laughs) (laughs) And will coincide with the release of the line's first issues. Now, while the creative teams involved won't be revealed until January at the earliest, the special uh, does feature a pretty neat Exo Manowar cover by... Jelena? Jelena? (laughs) Jelena Kevik Jerdevik. There you go. (laughs) Yowza. Any relation to another Jerdevik we know? I'm certain. A Marco? Probably. Or they're just a bunch of (laughs) Jerdeviks running around. It's like Uh, Smith in Russia. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Valiant's press release promises all new stories with all new character designs, but it doesn't mention whether these stories will have any connection to the Valiant universe of the past. The Valiant comics of the 90s are generally well regarded by fans and the line featured work by writers and artists that are well known in the industry today like Barry Windsor Smith, Joe Quesada, and David Lapham. But time will tell if this relaunch will have a similar impact. Matt. I don't think they can tie it to the old Valiant universe. I think you got to start it over. I do too. I think you got to start it over and I I think you've got to do it differently than what Dark Horse was doing with the gold key titles they tried to start over recently. They've got to get some fresh talent. They've got to take a new look at it. You can't get a bunch of old guys and try and just slightly reinvent this wheel. You're going to have to give them something new. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with any of these characters. They're all interesting. They can all be written really well. The sort of relaunch thing they did in the 90s, I really enjoyed. Yeah. When Garth Ennis did Shadow Man. Mark and Wade did Exo Man of War. Those were a lot of fun. And there's no reason why they couldn't inject that kind of fun into this. And that I can't see the name of the CEO. Peter Cuneo, I yes. think was his name. He was the uh, CEO of Marvel for like 10 years. He left a couple years ago when Disney bought it out. Yeah. So, I mean, like instrumental in really building up a lot of Marvel titles. So guy knows how to get good talent in there and good young talent. So there's no reason why this can't be awesome. Well, too. he wasn't an editor. He didn't have no, anything no, to do but with editorial. He's, but he's a CEO. He so was like a media. He was like the media guy. So, yeah. you know, that sort of, he's got a handle on that sort of thing. So, Except. well, what I hope is that the focus isn't on churning out properties for video games and stuff. And I want to read a good story because I never really read Valiant in the nineties. I did like the acclaim comics, which was the stuff we mentioned with Garth Ennis and Mark Wade, quantum and Woody. Yeah. Which is so good. Christopher priest, quantum and Woody. Um, and so if we can have, you know, quality stories by quality creators, there's nothing wrong with these characters. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they have to offer. It certainly can't be any worse than the Atlas relaunch. That's it for this week's big news. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Joe and I have been writing homoerotic ninjack and shadow man team up fan fiction <laughs> to make a little extra scratch for some much needed upgrades to the Ziggurat Studio. Review time is here, and as always, Matt and I had an Indian leg wrestling contest. Is that racist? No, that's just what they call it, dude. What do you want me to do? Well, Indian feather, not Indian uh, dot. Bottom line is, Matt's hammy hocks dominated my flabby baby glutes, (laughs) so he gets to go first. Matt, go. This week I read Defenders number 1 from Marvel, written by Matt Fraction, with art by Terry Dodson. Here's your solicitation. And I hate these kind of solicitations. Marvel is doing this, the bullet points. I hate it, this list. So, spinning out of the stunning end of Fear Itself, the final worthy on a global rampage. Dot. Matt Fraction, Fear Itself, The Mighty Thor, Invincible Iron Man, reteams with Terry Dodson, Uncanny X-Men, Sensational Spider-Man. Dot. Everyone's favorite Marvel characters banding together, or maybe this should say, 
five Marvel characters that can't hold their own book on a monthly basis slammed together <laughs> into one. They are the last line of defense against the forces of unknown. You either love them or you hate them. They're the defenders. <laughs> it's amazing. We had some like discussions like in the shop this week about what people thought of the defenders. And some people were just like, fuck the defenders, man. They are so stupid. You know, like and other people were like, no way. I love the defenders. I come down on the side or I love the defenders. But I think I love the Defenders the same way I love the Chicago Cubs, where I don't expect them to do anything <laughs> great. You know, like, it's going to be fine, and I'll read, you know, and see what's going on. But let's not kid ourselves. It'll be gone in no time. Let's let's talk about the art. There's few artists working today as good as Terry Dodson. Everything the guy does looks fantastic. And when he and his wife work together as an artist inker team, they are unstoppable. I, they look so good. Uh, there's a Sonia Oback, who's a name I don't recognize as a colorist. Yeah, she's been color for doing stuff for Marvel for a few years now. She colored a lot of the X-23, like, minis. and That um, might be why. Gripping stuff. Thanks, Joe Patrick. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you said you've never heard of her. I'm here to tell you. She's an established artist. The look of this comic is perfect. It really is. It, it Now, I will say it looks very Silver Age to me. The paneling was very classic compared to what Dodson was doing yep. on Uncanny X-Men. And that wasn't the only thing that gave it a Silver Age feel. At the bottom of every page, they did like this little continued on next page, you right. know, or continued on page after ad, which gives it this very um, Silver second Age. Second page following. But they also plugged in little blurbs about other books and stuff. Yeah. And I found it really distracting. That Marvel used to do that. Didn't I, you know that? I mean, I know that, but I found it really distracting. That was my favorite part of the book. Really? Yeah. Because at the time the Defenders first it. came around, that's what Marvel was doing. Right. They had just really was started. Was these little blurbs that said, Can, is Luke Luke Cage guilty or innocent? Check it out in Power Man number 15 yeah, or whatever. Just like at the bottom of the page. Yeah. It, just like little things saying, hey, check out some of our other books. And I thought it was great. Ah, it didn't work for me. I am not a fan of the Red She-Hulk. I hate her in fingerless gloves. I hate it when you take a really powerful character and put gloves on them. You know, they don't need gloves. They're invulnerable. What are they going to get calluses? Maybe it's a fashion statement. It's dumb. I really like Matt Fraction's dialogue. I thought the story was fun. And I think this will probably turn out to be a fun book. But it seems to kind of fly in the face of a lot of things that are going on with these characters in other books. Like, this Danny Rand was once again rich running the Rand Corporation when the last time we saw him, I'm pretty sure he sold all that and opened a dojo for underprivileged kids. I don't remember. Didn't he disconnect himself? You know how how eager I am to tell you when you're wrong, but I don't recall. These are the last memories I have of Iron Fist. Not to mention the Silver Surfer, who's been completely depowered in the pages of Thor. I mentioned that. Here he is. I mentioned that in my Thor review. Yeah, and we both thought, well, they'll do something. We'll see something. Nothing at all. He's just, boom. He's got his power. He's cosmic. He's doing his thing. Yep. I didn't get it. And I didn't hate this book. There was just some weird character things that I kind of feel like Fraction may be forcing. Now, that said, I loved the way he wrote Doctor Strange. I did too. I loved it. But, okay, so you mentioned something here in the script. There's a weird jump at the end of the space plane I was getting to that, yeah. Where... The ne- the very next scene without any kind of transition well, they go is from, him waking up in bed. They go from Danny Rand on this experimental plane Wait. being attacked by an assassin to waking up next to some girl. And at first I thought it was a dream. Yeah. And who was the girl? Was it, it was nobody. He says it's a, a, a hookup that he regretted. And she kind of has hair similar she to Misty. She looks like Misty Knight. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I thought was clever. I was like, well, hey, he's, he's a- got a type. Don't you go black. You ain't never going back. <laughs> 
But no, I liked the book. I will say it just felt a little disjointed. I, I, I also didn't like the beginning where Doctor Strange hooks up with the college girl because one of the greatest things, not that I don't think Doctor Strange can't get a little romance, but one of the best things I thought that came out of recent Doctor Strange stories was the fact that he was dating the Night Nurse. That was kind of And fun. there's no mention of that at all. But maybe they're just sort of, you know, they're on a other. break. Maybe it's not serious. Or maybe they just didn't care to uh, do their research. Maybe they're adults and they're not real serious. You know what I mean? Whatever. Mm, sure. And I want to see where this book is going. That said, I'm giving it a skimmit, which is not a bad skimmit. Really? Yeah. I just, it felt a little forced to me and it felt a forced. little, a little rushed. The thing with the defenders is that. They're always kind of the weirdos, yeah. the losers even. I mean, not necessarily the losers, but like they're a team that's not a team. They're a non-team is right. how they were always referred to. And it felt, it had that classic feel, the Hulk needed help. Yeah. And that I bought. Now, I will say one thing that is not addressed is what the heck is going on with this weird entity that's causing these rips in reality. It is the entity that possessed the Hulk during yeah. Fear itself, and that, that was, there's no mention of no, that. No, they just really kind of mentioned. Well, they split, and it's still out there. Yeah, uh, and the reason why it's still out there is because, and I can't believe I'm about to admit this, but in Fear itself, Hulk versus Dracula. Oh boy, the Hulk manages to break his hammer, and breaking his hammer releases the entity and frees him from. So, yeah, its possession, I didn't read that, so I didn't know that. Which is why the Hulk is not present at the end of Fear itself. Hey, I have an idea. You want to put something on the bottom of the page? Mention that. Uh, yeah, it, it needed some sort of footnote or yeah. If or you're going to do all the Silver Age stuff, do the little box that says "See it in Hulk versus Dracula." You know, fact checking Freddy or whatever. You know, like <laughs> exactly. They used to do. I, I really liked it. I'm giving it a buy. It. I thought the art was strong, and I thought it was fun. It was goofy. It was kind of a throwback, and oh, yeah. for me, I really appreciated it. Was it was definitely fun. Uh, a serious take on the Defenders, I don't think it works. No, they tried that. Uh, and so... <laughs> In the 80s, I believe. Yeah, when it became the new Defenders. Ooh, it was horrible. <laughs> but I really liked it. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm eager to see where it's going. I agree. Red She-Hulk is stupid. Yeah. Why can't we just have Jen? Where's Jennifer? Give me the green She-Hulk. I'm, I, there's nothing wrong <laughs> right, with our She-Hulk. Let's wrap this up. We're uh, reviewing different... We're, we're right. not actually talking about the book anymore. Joe, <laughs> tell us about Hellblazer Annual number one. I got a little Hellblazer curious. <laughs> and I picked up Hellblazer Annual. Um, I've heard really good things about Peter Milligan's run. And I have read here and there a couple of the collections that were illustrated by uh, Giuseppe Camincoli. Communicoli? No, Cam and Coley. Cam and Coley. In your face, man. Whatever. And uh, they're great. I mean, Peter Milligan is a hit and miss writer. On Hellblazer, he's all hit. And everything I've read, I've really enjoyed. Simon Bisley is an artist that I know primarily from ridiculous drawings of Lobo. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's kind of one of the rotating artists on the main series, if I'm not mistaken. I don't believe he has been. He's been doing covers and stuff, but he has not been doing the regular series. Simon Bisley is a crazy person. Well, that said... What do you mean? He's a crazy person. I mean, person. if you look at his covers and everything he oh, draws, well, it is yeah. the most spastic, lunatic art. I don't know if I, like, I love half of what he does and I hate half of what he does. This. It was gorgeous. Was beautiful. This, this is, this is. Was restrained. This was almost perfect. Like, I can't believe it's the same artist. I know. Well, I, I was looking at this and just saying, wow, they must have, like, put it, put him on Quaaludes or something well, because he totally mellowed out. I know that the 90s was a different time and that Lobo was a different character. Right. But this book, I mean, it's clear 
Simon Bisley is an amazing artist. He's no, he is very, very talented. I just don't have a taste for everything he does. When he tones it down like this, it's gorgeous. Yeah, this book is dark. It's got a really muted color palette that really suits the story, which by the way, we bypassed. So let me recap. <laughs> well, we always sort of talk about yeah. the art first. Uh, John Constantine has been uh, called back to Liverpool, which is his hometown, by the family of an old friend that disappeared 40 years ago. And the grandmother is on her deathbed, and her last wish is for John to solve the mystery of what happened to, you know, her grandson. And Liverpool, you know, the area where he grew up is just this complete cesspool and going back there is something he you know almost never does if he can help because it because it hasn't changed it right just reminds him too much of his crappy upbringing and his terrible father but you know he can't say no to this you know uh this kid was one of his closest friends and you know this is just like a, a deathbed a deathbed request he just can't turn it down and <clears throat> so he's in liverpool and he discovers that there is this kind of rash of kids disappearing, disenfranchised children or children with uh, abusive parents uh, or kids that feel that they have nothing to live for. Goth kids. Twilight kids. They're not goth kids. They totally are. And uh, they, if, if the title of this story gives you a clue, it's called The Suicide Bridge. Yeah, yeah. And there is a bridge. It's not a love story. <laughs> like a phantom bridge in the middle of the city that was torn down decades and decades ago that like appears that kind of calls out to these kids. And there's a, an interesting scene where it's like kind of, it's like a ghost story in the modern day where it's like posting phantom images to Facebook. You know, it's like, Hey, what's this bridge? Maybe you should go and check it out. Yeah. What like the images like appear or sending them text messages and stuff. Uh, and, and the I, kids get this image of the bridge in their head yeah, and, and they they're can't, drawn they, to it. Yeah, it's like they don't want to commit suicide necessarily, but the bridge like catches them at a vulnerable moment and then lures them in and traps them. And it's, it's described just, as a greedy place. A greedy is, place, oh, yeah. Man, that's creepy. <laughs> and so this issue is basically Constantine investigating this bridge. And so there, it's all the really great kind of... What I really liked about Constantine was that he was a magician or a sorcerer or whatever you want to call it, but he wasn't like making weird symbols with his hands well, and that was, casting energy bubbles like Dr. Strange. Like first and foremost, he's a bastard. Yeah. And he happens to be a magician. Right. <laughs> and know? his magic is kind of subtle and right. dirty. He's more of sort of a detective for people who have no place else to go, who are stuck dealing with supernatural things. Right. And I just really always loved that about Constantine and picking this book up, I fell right back into it. Yeah. Uh, I told I am so glad you chose this. Yeah. I haven't read Hellblazer for a long time. This was so good. This took me right back to the old Hellblazer right. stories that I loved, like the Garthena stuff, the Warren Ellis stuff. This was fantastic and it was dark and it was spooky. Oh yeah. I'm giving it a strong buy it. And it, and that's the highest praise I can give it is that I picked up an annual of yeah. all things. Especially and in a time when annuals have been so throwaway for so long. This was a $5 book, but it was one story, no reprints. Also, it was jam-packed. Not the first Hellblazer annual. So I don't know why they call it Hellblazer <laughs> well, annual you know. one. People <laughs> are like, this is like Hellblazer annual 12. It's true. <laughs> uh and so for me to say, I picked up an annual on a lark and it made me want to pick up the ongoing series. That's the biggest compliment you can give a book. Yeah, it really is. A strong buy it on my part. So that's a skim it from me for Defenders, number one, a buy it from DJ and two strong buy it's for Hellblazer annual number one. As always, we want to know your opinions of the comics we reviewed. So hit us up on our Facebook page 
and let us know how twisted and sick our opinions really are. Welcome to the power base, fellow human. We need your help. Now it's time to put on our experimental power suits, turning us into a two-headed attack force. Jump into the cockpit of our XT-7 power jet and launch a supersonic attack on Volcania, the stronghold of Lord Dread and the Bio-Dread Empire, while reviewing ten comics in the ludicrous speed round! I dare you to know what we're talking about. Bailing the Outcast, number one. I was kind of surprised here. This is another well, $1, number one, so everybody should pick it up and give it a look. Boom Studios. Art was pretty good. This is fun hack and slash fantasy type stuff. Zombie Conan. Giving it a buy it. Yeah, I liked it. Action Comics, number four. I did not love this as much as I've loved past issues. I have not read it yet. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm still giving it a buy it. It's just, it's a little bit laggy, but you know, mid-storyline blues. TMNT Microseries, Raphael, number one. This was a bad comic. That's the best thing I could say about it. it Buy was, it. The art was not very good. Oh. Maybe if I was much younger, I might enjoy it. There's very little story. And I'm really disappointed with the entire TMNT relaunch. I'm giving the whole thing a leader. Dang. Moon Knight, number eight. I've been kind of lukewarm on the whole Bendis Moon Knight relaunch, but this issue really did it for me. I really liked it. Everything was clicking. And the art seemed better somehow by Alex Maleev. I'm giving it a strong, strong buy it. Voltron, number one. There were people on the internet calling this, like, terrible and giving it one star One star. What is your problem? Seriously, I thought this was fun. Now, that said... I really liked it. The art wasn't fantastic. I liked the art, too. I thought it was okay. I was screaming for one of those Udon guys to do this. I think they would have killed it, man. I I hate Udon. Sorry. But you know what? Buy it. In your face, CDR. Strange Talent of Luther Strode, number three. Let's make enemies! Uh, Third issue of a six-issue mini, and it is no less compelling. This book just keeps on rolling. It's brutal. It's hilarious. Wonderful art. I cannot wait to see where the story is going. Buy it! Villains are higher, number one. Uh, Well-written, not very well-drawn. I'm just not a fan of Renato Arlem going all the way back to his Stormwatch, where I first met him back in the 90s. It's just not good. This he kinda... drew the worst parts of Countdown. I oh think. yeah, this is a disappointing, like slow burnout for the Heroes for Hire book. Skim it, Animal Skim Man number it? four. This book, on the other hand, is phenomenal. Uh, it is gross. It's creepy. It's scary. Travel Foreman. Uh, this is a beautiful book. Travel I'm Foreman loving... looks like he's drawing this from beyond the grave. <laughs> it is I, creepy. I am really loving this story. I'm giving it a strong buy. It. Dead or Alive, number one. Uh, this is another Western book with zombies. Not much going on here. Kind of weak art. I feel bad giving a leave it to Red Fire. <laughs> it's it's okay. Like, Say leave it. Leave it. Sorry. Swamp Thing, number four. Uh, Yannick Paquette is either off the book or is taking a breather. Uh, that said, we get some really nice art from, I believe the name was Marco Rudy. Yeah, I think Yannick Paquette. He was drawing on the, next uh, one. He was drawing the Red Five. Uh, the Red Circle Shield relaunch, yeah. and he's a great artist. He's really good. Uh, it was really good, keeping on with the really scary, creepy, just messed up stuff, and is starting to dovetail in with Animal Man quite nicely, giving it a strong buy it. Krathoom! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Krathoom is the sound of John Henry Iron smacking some armored fool with his hammer in the pages of this week's Action Comics number four. And now you know. It's time once again to visit the THN Sanctum Santorum, where <laughs> where our manservant Wong has prepared a psychotropic tea infused with extra-dimensional fungus that will allow us to peer into the future to see next week's comics. Joe, 
What have the iridescent waves of infinity revealed to you? Gross. <laughs> My pick is The Ray Number One by Jimmy Palmiotti, Justin Gray, and Jamal Eichel. This is another new reboot of an existing DC character into the new 52. Is it 52 at this point when there's 18 minis now? You know, it's hard to know. The new 60. Yeah. This features a new version of the Ray. His name is Lucian Gates. Yeah, he's not a white guy. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, you know. But the preview does make mention of an existing Ray or a former Ray making, I believe, this new character the first legacy hero in the new DC universe. Ooh, that could be. I'm excited to hear more about it. Matt, what did you choose? This week I'm excited for The Strain, number one. Written by David Lapham and adapted from a Guillermo del Toro story with art by Mike Huddleston, who I love, love, love. Mike Huddleston is a crazy person and I love him. Here's your solicitation. When a Boeing 777 lands at JFK International Airport and goes dark on the runway, the Center for Disease Control, fearing a terrorist attack, calls in Dr. Ephraim Goodweather and his team of expert biological threat first responders. I think that might be a run-on sentence. Only an elderly pawnbroker from Spanish Harlem suspects a darker purpose. Of course. Behind the event, an ancient threat intent on covering mankind in darkness. Wow. This, this sounds spooky, sort of like a movie that maybe Del Toro wanted to get made but didn't have the money to. I love David Lapham. I love Huddleston. This looks like more creepy fun from Dark Horse Comics. Party and party and yeah. Off mic, of course, we were singing the Friday song. There's no reason why you guys should know that, but make sure and let us know what you are planning on reading next week over at our Facebook page. Baby. The first show of the month means it's time to take a look at this month's nerd-related TV and movies in a little segment we like to call Nerd TV. Joe, start us off with the big screen. Just when you got me used to it. I know. On Friday the 16th, get ready for the return of top Scientologist Tom Cruise and his ever-changing <laughs> band of special ops in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And go see it in IMAX to get a preview of The Dark Knight. That's right. It's going to be red. And uh, the Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows. So exciting. I just watched the first one again last night. I love it. I loved it too. Yeah. On Wednesday the 21st, Steven Spielberg's The Adventures of Tintin hits along with its polar opposite... David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You see one, get in a good mood, go to the other one, and walk out with the opposite of a boner. <laughs> On Thursday the 22nd, watch for martial arts film impresario... Sui Hark. Sui Hark. You're welcome. The Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. It looks awesome. In a film custom made for Matt Baum starring Jet Li flying around and whipping ass... In his otherworldly kung fu skills. Didn't Jet Li say he was retiring from all kung fu films? It didn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not doing anything on Christmas Day, be sure to check out Emil Hirsch fighting electric aliens in The Darkest Hour. I just could not be less interested in that film. In TV news, watch for new episodes of Primeval and Terra Nova, two shows about traveling time and dealing with dinosaurs. Once Upon a Time and Grimm, two shows about fairy tales in modern day that may or may not be ripping off fables. Bill Willingham said no. Oh, please. No, he came out with like an impassioned plea in really? defense of Once Upon a Time. Whatever. Yeah. American Horror Story on FX, which I is so creepy. I love it. I, I love it. I love it. I, I, I made it through the first episode and it broke me. <laughs> I love it. Eureka, Haven, and Warehouse 13 on the Sci-Fi Network and Person of Interest, which we've also been calling Ben Linus and Hobo Batman. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Only four premieres this month. Neverland, the story of the origin of Peter Pan with some of the worst effects I've ever seen when it comes to flying. Wow. And Snowmageddon yes. on Saturday the 10th, which is pretty much exactly what you think it is. Is that sci-fi also? Yes. Mm-hmm. On Sunday the 11th, watch for Stephen King's Bag of Bones about a creepy girl that was drowned in a lake, as far as I can tell, on A&E, starring Pierce Brosnan as a writer suffering from depression and writer's block after his wife's untimely death, who moves to a strange house in upstate Maine, known to the locals as Sarah Laughs. And Ew. don't forget to catch the Doctor Who Christmas oh, special I on won't. Christmas Day. You better believe I oh, won't. It's going to be so fun. There was a two-minute prologue to the Doctor Who Christmas special online this week. It's really fantastic. I suggest you seek it out. On DVD this month, watch for releases of the remake of Fright Night, which was great. It was totally great. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which was also pretty it great. It was awesome. And Transformers Dark of the Moon, which was... A piece of crap. I didn't see it. All on the 13th. And on the 27th, 2012 zombie apocalypse <laughs> Which, apollo 18 and final destination 5 the finalist destination well, apollo 18 was the one with the uh, russian zombies on the moon sure i was going for a zombie thing I, there. I get it you know. over at netflix now streaming just in time for christmas yes Emmett otter's jug band christmas if you don't cry while you watch this you're not a human being edward scissorhands if you don't cry while watching that you're also not a human being and fireplace for your home which is just Five different fireplaces that you can put on your TV with a little fire in it. It's great. Thanks, Netflix. I love it. I watched it for like an hour the other night. <laughs> Creep Show 2, Jet Lee in Fearless, which was awesome. And Power Rangers Samurai? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's relatively new. I don't know. What's and, this thing about House? Like the movie House. Yeah, like the really bad cheesy 80s horror film. Awesome. Which I kind of love. And Isn't Cliff Clavin in that movie? Cliff Clavin was in that movie. Uh, Good call. Look hey, at you. I know things. Don't forget Chud, also up mm, for your viewing. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. That is true. I see, I know things. And Insidious, which I didn't see, but I'm kind of curious about. I heard it wasn't great. Mm. In Netflix TV, make sure to catch MTV's Teen Wolf, which no, I've heard you. is terrible. Yeah. Seasons one through four of Burn Notice, which is excellent. I love Burn Notice. The complete BBC version of Being Human, which is also excellent. The Complete Spaced, which is, if you haven't seen it, you Spaced are missing is so out, so good. Simon Pegg. Oh, great, great stuff. Yeah, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. Excellent kinda, stuff. I think that's kind of where it all began for those guys. Yeah, it really is. Edgar Wright was involved as well. Yes, so. he produced it. And the latest from David Mitchell and Robert Webb of that Mitchell and Webb look, Peep Show. The Mitchell and Webb look. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. That is it for your nerd TV lineup for this December. We want to know what you guys are watching, so drop us a line and let us know. That's it for the Two-Headed Nerd this week. If two nerds making Captain Power references and promoting psychotropic drug use is what you look for in a comic book podcast, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes where your star ratings are appreciated, but written reviews really help us out. So please, take a second and let us know what you think of our little program. Thanks again to everyone who clicked our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And if you haven't, your donation in any amount, any amount, even a dollar, a cent at this point, (laughs) not only helps keep the show going, but keeps our fridge stocked with Soynog and Maker's Mark Whiskey this holiday season. Yum. As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com, like our Twitter handles, links to Ask a Nerd, where you can ask any of your comic-related questions, and ask for reading suggestions from the comic pushers. Also, dear God, 
Send us your submissions. Please get on it. They don't have to be good. They no. can be ridiculous. Yes. Just, what I don't do you think, think you understand what our expectations are what here. Exceptionally low. <laughs> what, what, what do you think the two-headed nerd looks like? That's all we need. Draw us a picture, folks. Come on. The winner will be voted on by you, the listeners, and the new mascot, along with all the entries, will be featured in regular rotation on our new and improved website, which I am working on. As we speak! I'll believe it when I see it. It's happening! If that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, who do you think should take over the Avengers when Bendis leaves the title? This is a whole discussion. I'm not even getting into it now. It's true. Next week, it's time again to ask a nerd, and this time we want your trivia challenge from my heterosexual life mate and grand comic wizard DJ over here. So hit us with your best trivia question and make sure to mark your email for Matt's eyes only in the subject line. Fun fact. To it, keep DJ from cheating. If you click the Ask a Nerd link on the website, it will automatically mark it. Matt's eyes only. The work is done for you, folks. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jerry Robinson, creator of The Joker, Two-Face, Robin, and everyone's favorite butler, Alfred, who passed away this week at age 89. That's Jerry Robinson, not Alfred. He's doing just fine. Word to you, Mr. Robinson, and until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Albert, be careful. The Joker's an arch criminal. I know, madam, but a very poor offense, huh? You and your freak are smashing the smidgens. May I point out that smidgens is a childish confusion should have no place even in so poor of a vocabulary as yours. <laughs>